Please turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 45. Our focus this morning is actually two chapters long, Genesis 45 and Genesis 46. It's true that we reach the redemptive crescendo of the story of Joseph and his brothers last week in chapter 44 with Judah's incredible transformative speech that revealed to Joseph that these brothers were not the same brothers he once knew, that God had done a work of transformation in them by the words Judah spoke. But today, it's the dramatic, climactic point of the drama itself, the narrative itself, the revelation of Joseph now finally to his brothers in the immediate aftermath, what all comes to pass. You remember just before this, the final of several tests that Joseph had run his brothers through had culminated with the finding of a planted silver cup in Benjamin's bag. And when confronted with this, instead of doing what they had done in the past, lied or spoke to cover themselves, they confessed to their guilt, not to the guilt of taking the cup. They hadn't taken the cup, but they knew they were guilty before God, the far greater crime, the crime of selling their brother into slavery those many years ago, and the crime against their father to lie against him as they did. Judah, speaking for all of them, says that they deserved everything that was coming. But please, O Prime Minister of Egypt, let Benjamin go. It will destroy my father. Instead, take me so that I can honor my pledge to my father. I would like to put myself in the place of Benjamin so he can have his son back and he can live. The love for Benjamin and for his father and no longer for himself was all that Joseph could take. And it was now time to reveal himself to his brothers. I want you to keep in mind this fact. He has not yet spoken to his brothers in their native tongue. He's been speaking to them through his steward, through a translator. And that helps us to better appreciate the drama of what unfolds. Follow as I read Genesis chapter 45 and Genesis chapter 46. Then Joseph could not control himself before all all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out for me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into, into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing or harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors." So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds and all you have. There I will provide for you. For there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you, are, you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. 
And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this. Load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your, ho- and your households and come to me. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat of the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. The sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave a change of clothes. But to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father he sent as follows, 10 donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt, Ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is the ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob their father, their little ones and their wives, and the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. Now these are the names of the descendants of Israel who came into Egypt, Jacob and his sons. Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and the sons of Reuben, Hanak, Pelu, Hezron, and Carmi. The sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul. And the son of the son of a Canaanite woman. Sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The sons of Judah, Er, Onan, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah. But Er and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And the sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamuel. Sons of Issachar, Tola, Puva. Job and Shimron, sons of Zebulun, Sarad, Elon, Jalil. These are the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob and Padam Aram, together with his daughter Dinah. Altogether, his sons and daughters numbered thirty-nine. 
the sons of Gad, Ziphion, Haggai, Shuni, Esbon, Eri, Erodi, and Erali. The sons of Asher, Imna, Ishva, Ishvi, Bariah, and with Sarah, their sister. And the sons of Bariah, Heber, and Malkiel. These are the sons of Zilpah, who Laban gave to Leah, his daughter, and these she bore to Jacob, 16 persons. The sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, Joseph and Benjamin, and to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On, bore to him. And the sons of Benjamin, Bela, Becher, Ashbel, Gera, Naaman, Ehi, Rosh, Mupim, Hupim, and Ard. These are the sons of Rachel, who were born to Jacob, 14 persons in all. The son of Dan, Hushim, the son of Naphtali, Jazil, Guni, Jezer, Shillam. These are the sons of Bilhah, who Laban gave to Rachel, his daughter. And these she bore to Jacob, seven persons in all. All the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's sons' wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph, who were born to him in Egypt, were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. Let's bow together as I lead us in prayer. O Lord, it is such a blessed privilege to hear your word read in the assembly of your saints. Your word is beautiful. It is life-giving. Your testimony is sure, and it makes wise the simple. Father, please send your Holy Spirit to illumine our minds as we consider these chapters in Genesis this morning. May each of us be refreshed by your grace, encouraged by your trustworthiness, and invigorated to serve you. Pray this through Christ. Amen. Certainly the dramatic conclusion comes in verse 3 of the passage before us. I am Joseph in their native tongue. Imagine how this must have stunned them to hear this. What unfolds from Joseph's revelation from this point, 70 people, all the people of Jacob, they're now in Egypt, grows to a nation of 2 million people by the time of Moses' day. Remember the very first audience that would have heard Genesis. Who were those people? It would have been Israel, who had just been rescued from Egypt, now most likely in the wilderness, being prepared further to then take back Canaan, to go back to Canaan. So they are hearing this story of their origin, the origins of the earth, the origins of mankind, the problem mankind has, the promise of God, the call to make Abraham a great nation, the relationship with Egypt that they had just left, where it used to be. All of this is informative of the people of God in the wilderness, ready to then go take back the promised land. Refreshing for them to hear it at that time, but it's refreshing for us again to go through what God providentially worked in Jacob, in the family of Jacob, and their sons, Joseph and Judah. You'll notice the outline. I have several R words that track us through this passage in rapid form. And you see I have key verses attached to each of the chapters, first 45 and then 47. Let's together look at the passages and see how this unfolds and this culminates. Certainly the story of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, and Joseph have always been about God's providential outworking of his will. But no figure in the Old Testament, including Moses himself, refers to God's involvement in their lives, in the life of people, more than Joseph does. 
The focus has been on Joseph, but he is careful to make us see the real underlying Lord is God himself. God's election, his predestination, his providence. And Joseph is the one who says what is true about God out loud in the most. The story of Israel is about God's gospel presence with his people to the point of bringing us Messiah. Notice first the revelation of Joseph's identity when he reveals himself finally. We're waiting for this moment. He reveals his identity as well as the hand of God's providence behind it all. Here he is to this point speaking in a different tongue through a translator. And now after he hears Judas' speech about substituting himself for Benjamin, Joseph can't restrain himself anymore. And he says to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers couldn't answer him. They were stunned. They were absolutely shocked. They were paralyzed when they heard this. It says in the text, for they were dismayed at his presence. They were scared about what he said. Wait a minute, hold on. What language did you just speak? Joseph, what, wait, who are you? This doesn't, they're paralyzed in their confusion and their fear. This is Joseph, the one we've harmed so greatly, and you're saying it's him, and you speak in his language, so I know it must be you. They don't know what to say. And here's this powerful ruler who holds their lives in his hands, wailing before them, now saying he's their long-lost brother. How could this be possible? Trembling, they stand there, gaped. So Joseph says to them, come near, come closer to me. And they came, and he said, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now that would not bring comfort to me. The first thing he reminds them is what they did, but then he goes right into comfort, verse 5. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Yes, you did this. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Joseph had come to realize the providence of God at work. He brings it to the forefront, and this is what gives him the strength he needs to do what he does every day. Yes, you did something evil, but God meant that evil for something good, to preserve life. Really what we have here is not only the the biblical teaching of providence once again, but a subcategory called concurrence. What that means, or what that describes, is the divine activity that runs parallel to the activity of people and things. Something bad is being done outwardly by people, but we learn behind the scenes God is using the situation for his exact purposes. Make no mistake, we don't know how that works with everything. From time to time, God gives us these kinds of insights. And Joseph had come to learn this to be true. And this helped him bear under what his brothers had done and understand better what God was calling him to. Verse 6, he goes on to explain to the brothers the significance of God's providence in their lives, even around the terrible thing they did. He says in verse 6, for the famine's been in the land for two years. There's still five more years to come. God sent me before you to preserve for, for you a remnant on the earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. They could not live unless God had intervened for them through Joseph. You know, this is true of their physical salvation, but it's true of spiritual salvation too, eternal salvation. We could not have eternal life apart from God intervening for us through Christ. Back to the passage, verse 8. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. I mean, they're still standing there dumbfounded. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord over all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. I mean, how amazing is this, brothers? Can you believe this happened like this? Now hurry, go and get my father. Bring him back to me. 
And go tell him what's happened. Tell him what happened to me, what happened in Egypt, what God has done. Don't tarry. Get the family back here and I will provide for you because there's a lot more famine to come. You can't live back in Canaan. There, there is high mystery here. High mystery concerning what's behind the events of our lives. What we think we're in so much control of is in fact part of God's unfolding providence. Even the distressing stuff. Notice Joseph's practical handle on the doctrine of providence as it aids him. Verse 5, God sent me before you to preserve life. Verse 7, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant. Verse 8, so it was not you who sent me here but God. Verse 9, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. This has allowed him to, give, to forgive his brothers, knowing God's sovereign hand behind it. Kent Hughes says, well, these various lines about God doing these, these things. They're a, a theological declaration, he says, of divine providence. That God works his will in and through the actions of all people, whether good or bad. Providence is explicit in Joseph's juxtapositions. You sold me, but God sent me. Joseph understood that every episode in his life story, and that of his brothers, was under God's direct rule. You see, this practical grasp of the truth of God's providence helps us bear under the many hardships of this life. He dwelt on God's providence more than the aftermath of the hardships, and that's what gave him fruitful production in God's kingdom. In the midst of hardship and trial, he did not stay dwelling on that misfortune. He learned to lean on God's sure hand and God's mysterious purposes. With that perspective, he was able to be restored to his brothers. Next, we see the restoration. Look at verse, starting at verse 12. Now, his brothers are still understandably stunned. Moses records they have not said anything yet. The word dumbfounded is good here. It's a combination of dumb and confounded. And that's exactly what they were at this point. They just couldn't get their heads to wrap around what they've just heard and what they have seen. So notice, notice what Joseph says in verse 12. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. Gather what's being said here. He's full brother to Benjamin. They're not recognizing him because he would have been shaven, he would have had headgear on, he would have white royal uh, robes of, of Egypt, he would look like one of their pharaohs. And he's saying to Benjamin, who's his full brother, probably looks a lot like him, look at me closely, you can see we're brothers. And Benjamin can see that... That does look like me. Now, Benjamin's got a beard. He's got long hair. He doesn't look like Joseph. But they look at their facial features and they can figure out, this is true. This is actually Joseph. And they can hear him speaking their language. Now your eyes see in the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. I'm Joseph. And you've got to tell my father, verse 13, of everything that's happened to me in Egypt. Everything you've seen. Go back now. Hurry. Hurry. But before they do, he falls upon his brothers. It's not just a light little bro hug. It's a grab their brother and bury his face in his neck and just hold him there and weep. That's what it describes. He kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. He came upon Benjamin and wept upon his neck. No reproach. He doesn't scold them, rehash the past. He wants everyone to be restored now. He sees their changed hearts. They've confessed. They've repented. They've had godly sorrow. And now he wants to take back what sin, what dysfunction, what distrust, what treachery had taken away for two decades. He wants to have restoration with his brothers. Restoration of the family. 
Verse 15, subtle but powerful. After that, his brothers talk with him. What do they talk about? 20 years to catch up on. So much that had to be said to one another. My kids are old enough now to where they're not in the house that much altogether. But when they come together, we have some of the best retelling of stories that you can imagine. Sherry and I learn a lot of things we didn't know at the time when they share these stories. I'm sure you understand. Lots of it's very humorous. Sometimes they're enlightened by what the other one says about some past experience they had. There's things that get brought up and rehashed and talked about. Most of it's a positive experience. What do you think this discussion was like? Just one quick phrase after this, his brothers talked with him. I wonder how long. Joseph had so much to tell them about what happened after they saw him last. They had so much to tell Joseph about what had happened after they saw him last. Restoration, finally, 22 years lost to sin. As a side note and as an encouragement, if you are estranged with your brothers or your sisters over something dumb, don't let more years go by and have lost 20 plus years of this fellowship. Incredibly, we see the story continue to unfold. Next, these no good brothers of all people, because of their relationship with Joseph, they are treated as royalty by Pharaoh. Verse 16, when Pharaoh hears about what happened, he's excited about it. Joseph's brothers have come and please Pharaoh. Why? Pharaoh delighted in Joseph. Pharaoh was under no illusions that the blessing that had been received was because of him. It was because of Joseph. And so whatever made Joseph happy made Pharaoh happy. And Pharaoh loved that Joseph was celebrating this and wanted to further the celebration. His love and appreciation for Joseph has to be at the high point when they're in the, the midst of this famine. And here to see Joseph even more contented with his family. Joseph happy and satisfied meant Egypt was secure. And Pharaoh celebrates this. He says to Joseph in verse 17, tell your brothers, get all your, your beasts, Go back to Canaan and take with you all this stuff I'm going to give you. The best of the land of Egypt. So you can go pick him up and bring him back in comfort. You'll eat the fat of the land and I'll have a place for you when you come back. A place where you can dwell, where your people can live. Have no concern for your goods, verse 20. The best of all the land of Egypt is yours. What royalty they are treated like. And so the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them the wagons just as Pharaoh said. And he loads them up with all the stuff. And notice what it says. To each and all of them, he gave a change of clothes. But to Benjamin, he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. An amazing gifting, a royal gifting. It was based on their relationship with Joseph that Pharaoh accepts them as his children. They were given a change of clothes to go along with their new royal identity. Isn't it interesting how clothing can be so significant in the Bible? This whole story started when Jacob gave Joseph a coat to say, you are special. You're my favorite one. It set him apart. Now all these brothers who did this great harm against Joseph, because of Joseph, they're given new clothing symbolizing their favorite status with Pharaoh. You see, Pharaoh so delighted in Joseph, if Joseph loved them, then Pharaoh loved them. You following? God so loves Christ that if Christ loves you, God loves you. And Benjamin is given five times as much as them. And you know what? Nobody cares. 
because they're all wearing clothes they didn't deserve anyways. Sometimes people will wonder aloud about heaven. Well, some people have higher status than others. You won't care because you don't belong there and you'll know it. And just the fact that you're there will be enough. Because of our relationship with Christ, we're treated as royalty. It's a beautiful picture, not based on our merit, but based on Jesus' merit and the relationship that he has with his father on our behalf. We're counted as sons and daughters. That's exactly what's experienced in this royal treatment the brothers receive. Further, the brothers are sent to give a report, and it just keeps building more. A report about Joseph to Jacob. Verse 24, then he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, parents all know what this means, don't fight on the way. Don't quarrel. An important admonition. Imagine the discussions they would have had for two weeks. It was a two-week journey. I could have descended seconds after they left his presence into a blame game. Reuben's like, I told you guys so. And then they start going back and forth. And the middle brother's like, we always got to do what they say. And then and back and forth and back and forth. How do we tell our father? And they go over the stories. And how, how is it we're going to break this to him? Well, after all of this time and this travel, hopefully they've taken Joseph's admonition. And it says in verse 25, They went up out of Egypt, came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob, and in very simple terms, they tell Jacob, Joseph is still alive, and he is the ruler of all the land of Egypt. And his father, their father must have thought, how cold can they continue to be? How foolish do they still think I am? Do they not care the pain that they brought already? And they would say something like this, His heart became none, verse 26, for he did not believe them. Who could blame them? His heart was callous towards his sons, especially about the matter of Joseph that no one would give him the straight on. Why believe him now? Verse 27, but when they told him all the words of Joseph, recounted the story, then showed him the wagons, all the stuff that substantiated the story, right down to Pharaoh giving him all this stuff. The spirit of their father revived. And Israel knew it was true. Jacob knew it was true. It is enough to even know he's alive. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and I will see him before I die. He's old. He's ready to die. But he has to see his son. He's not only revived about the news about his son, but also about the clear change that was evident in his sons. What a story of reconciliation. And it leads us rapidly right into verse or chapter 46. And what is the response of Jacob to this revelation from the sons? Verse 1. So Jacob took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba. Remember Beersheba. It's such an important sacred place to Isaac, his father. And there he offered, he worshiped, he offered sacrifices to God, to the God of his father Isaac. It's a direct connection back to the covenant relationship that God had called Jacob and his family to. A covenant renewal happens as a response to the announcement of salvation that has come. And God speaks to Jacob, verse 2, And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, and Jacob said, Here I am. And the words are that of the Abrahamic covenant with a bit of an alteration about what's going to happen in the immediate. I am God, the God of your father, 
Now, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. He had to be wondering, yes, for salvation at the moment, we have to go to Egypt. But this is the promised land. This is the land God's called us to. And God speaks to him to assure him, this is still all part of the plan. And you will end up in the promised land. But for now, you must do this and don't be afraid. There, there in Egypt, I will make you a great nation. That seems so unlikely. How could that be true? But God says it's true. I myself will go down with you to Egypt. I won't leave you. And I will bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. The terms of the Abrahamic covenant are renewed. Explanation is given in the short term what will happen. And they'll leave Canaan. I am the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. And from there, 70 people become 2 million. It took 400 years. There was a change from their favorite status to a change when they didn't remember. The pharaohs didn't remember Joseph anymore. But God preserves them this way. And we see this in the remnant that is listed. Look at verses 5 down to 27. God preserves a remnant. And the remnant is a seed for the nation of Israel that will preserve the seed for Messiah. Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father. Verse 5. They took their livestock and their goods, everything they had. The point here in numbering 70 is that everybody who made up Israel at that time went to Egypt. Every last person. The number 70 is given. It's a number of completion or totality. And we've actually seen it in Genesis before, and I think it connects. Back in Genesis 10, after the Ark of Noah landed and the nations populated, the table of nations was given in chapter 10. Seventy nations were listed. And then in chapter 11 of Genesis, the nations scattered because of Babel. Now we have 70 Israelites who will begin multiplying in Egypt. They will become a mighty nation that will be used by God to bless the rest of the nations of earth through the coming Messiah. Going to Egypt was for the purpose of incubating Israel into a clear, distinct, great nation. One commentator describes Israel going to Egypt as though they were going into the ark to be safe. Why relocate to Egypt? Think about it. Was Israel doing very well in Canaan? They're having a lot of trouble. Having a lot of trouble falling prey to the gods of Canaan. So God brings them to Egypt. And because the Egyptians don't think highly of the Israelites, because they're mere shepherds, they give them the land of Goshen, which is perfect for shepherding. You can have this place, and you can develop here. And the Egyptians will, without Israel doing anything, will stay clear of them. So this allows for these generations of development of a nation now in a better way than would have been done had it been back in Canaan with all the freedoms that were there. Again, God's providence, concurrence. Verse 28, he had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen, the place that they had designated for them. And they came into the land of Goshen. So they all set up in this part of Egypt that was given to Jacob and his sons. The final scene in this climactic chapter is the reunion of Jacob and Joseph. Verse 29, then Joseph prepared his chariot. Imagine the chariot he rode in. He got himself ready like a processional. And he went up to Goshen to meet his father. He comes to his father, verse 29, and he presents himself to him and falls on his father's neck. And notice the text. And wept on his neck a good while. 
Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face and I know that you are still alive. Do you remember Jacob's emotion when he said, I cannot bear if Benjamin dies too. I will go down to Sheol in my gray hairs. I will collapse. I will die. I will be destroyed if I lose this son. And now the total opposite has happened. And he's seen Joseph and he's lifted in his spirits. Now let me die since I have seen your face. You know, this reminds us of a passage that comes 1,800 years later. When Jesus was presented in the temple in Luke 2, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon of all names. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation, the saving of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon this man. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came into the, in, in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child, Christ Jesus, to him to do what was according to the law, it says he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for the revelation of the Gentiles and a glory for your people Israel. Back to 46, verse 30. Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face, and I know that you are still alive. Now there's much more to still be studied in Genesis, and we will do that. But this is the apex of the story of Joseph and his brothers. Donald Gray Barnhouse gives a fitting conclusion to this particular episode. The jealous hatred of brethren, the dreams of a youth, the passage of a caravan bound for Egypt, the preparation of Joseph by a life of adversity, the anger of Pharaoh and the imprisonment of two officials, the strange dreams of these prisoners, and Joseph's supernatural gift of interpretation, the dreams of Pharaoh, the change of rainfall in a fourth of Africa to bring about two cycles of abundance and famine by the flood and the failure of the Nile, the elevation of Joseph to the throne of Egypt. Barnhouse says, all of these things were brought about about naturally by the supernatural work of God, who is Lord of all, in order to fulfill the counsel of his will. Early in Genesis, we read, God speaking to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. A remnant rescued and a seed, the seed preserved. Let's bow together as I lead us in prayer. O Lord, May we be so impressed by this display of your providence in the lives of your people that we find comfort for our various situations today. Help us, like Joseph, not to be defined by preoccupation with our earthly troubles, though they may be many, but rather help us to gain strength and perseverance from the knowing of how you will use these things for your glory and our eternal good. Also, with all of this time that we've spent in Genesis, please impress upon all of us here afresh with a high and reverent esteem of the Holy Scriptures as a whole. Confirm what we know about your word, the heavenliness of what it reveals, the 
efficacy of the doctrines contained therein. The majesty of the style, the consent of all the parts, the scope of the whole of your word, which is to give you all the glory, and the full explanation that it gives of the only way of man's salvation through Christ. This is not to mention the many other incomparable excellencies that the Bible reveals. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's together respond by turning in our hymn.